parable of the ten talents. A man of noble birth went to a distant and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten talents. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. When he returned home, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your talent has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your talent has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your talent. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his talent away from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Well, I'm doing a short series over three weeks on the theme of time, talent, and treasure. And those are traditionally the three things that people think of uh, when they think of giving away uh, charitably. And it's appropriate that Bruce read that last reading because uh, uh, he's run quite a number of vestries in different churches in different parts of the country. And as a member of the board and the finance team, he often talks about those three aspects of time, talent, and treasure, comes into my office and gives me little talks about them. And I just felt it was appropriate for uh, him to read that. Our treasure, uh, which we talked about last week, our time, which we're going to talk about next week, and our talent, uh, which we'll think about today. So talent is an interesting concept. We think of it as meaning what people are good at. You know, he's a very talented musician, or he has a real talent for mathematics. But as you can see from this reading, it originally meant a sum of money. In the classical Latin, the actual word means balance, weight, sum of money, from the Greek word tantalon, which is a balance, a pair of scales. That's where it originally comes from. And according to Little and Scott, the monetary sum considered for a talent was 60,000 drachma or 47, uh, 57 pounds of silver. That was a talent. And the idea of talent being what we're good at came about as it became a common word for wealth. 
That's, that's when it became what we're good at, when it became a common word for, for wealth. What we're good at makes up a part of the wealth that we have. When we're weighed in the balance, part of our wealth is our talent. <clears throat> and in this parable, Jesus is, of course, not just talking about money. He's talking about what each of us is given from God. What we all come into the world with. And he's saying that to not use what we're brought into the world with is criminal. Uh, the Latin word of uh, criminal is, it comes from the Latin word crimere, which means to be judged. We're judged on how we use our talents. And, and I think our responsibility in life is to give back to life appropriately, taking into consider, consideration what we're given. You know, the, the, the parable goes, a man of no worth went to a distant land to return, and he gave his servants the talents. And then it was, we come to the last one. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your talent. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, didn't you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I didn't put in and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit? Take away his talent from him and give it to someone else. Sir, he's already got 10. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as the one who has nothing, even that will be taken away from him. Bit of a hard lesson. This is God as gangster, really, I think. It's a Sopranos version of the Bible, I think. But actually, you know, the point here is that, you know, we know that life is hard. That's the point. Reality is hard and uncompromising. You know, that lovely quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. And, you know, we, we do have to deal with that toughness. We talk about life being the university of hard knocks. And each of us knows, you know, that a bus traveling at 40 miles an hour towards us has no compassion. It does not care. Nor does the market when it tanks and we lose our money. Nor do cancer cells. The whole point of the attitude of the man with noble birth is that he represents the universe and our relationship to it. We have to get that unless we cooperate with the universe, we'll end up being very resentful about what happens to us. And this is a story about cooperation. The person given 10 talents cooperated. The one with five did so as well. The one with only one talent well, not so good for him. And it's to those of us that think that we don't have a great talent for anything that this story is really aimed. I remember, you know, when I was young, I felt completely untalented. I wasn't good at sport. I wasn't academically gifted. I wasn't artistic. I wasn't musical. I wasn't popular. The best thing I used to say for myself is that I felt average. <laughs> I felt average. 
average at everything. Actually, the one thing I was good at is I could talk. Yeah. In one lesson, we, I remember one lesson. The only time I felt I did well, we had one lesson, we had to talk about something for three minutes without stopping. And um, I had no problem with that. <laughs> and it didn't seem very useful at school, but it has become more useful later on. And, I mean, the first time I felt really good about something, you know, was when I worked in, in broadcasting. You know, when I worked there, I found that I had ideas about what to do. You know, I wasn't very good on air because I could never get used to just talking into to a microphone with no one else there. I, I needed that sort of sense of response. But I had plenty of ideas, and that carried me through into advertising, where that was useful. And in advertising, I discovered that I could write. And to some extent, I've been making my living by writing ever since. But if you asked me when I was 18 what talent I had, I really couldn't have told you. I was the one that was given one talent. And to me, to me, this story speaks of the uniqueness of all of us, of each of us. I often have said that life can feel like a game of poker where we're dealt a pair of fives. You know, we know that everyone else around the table has been dealt a better hand than us. And all we really want to do is to throw our hand in and get de dealt a better one. We'd much rather be dealt the hand that's been given to Mick Jagger or Jeff Bezos or Tom Brady or Michelangelo. People with real talent, you know, that we could do something with. And the thing we never really work out, the thing we never, you know, get if we think like that, is the fact that that poker game is fixed. The game of life is fixed. We might only have been dealt a pair of fives. However, in the game that we're playing, the pair of fives is a winning hand. But we don't think it when we look at it. You know, we think that we much better have something else. But the game is fixed, and that pair of fives that you've been dealt is the winning hand. Because the game has been set by the same friendly universe that dealt us our hands in the first place. We look at what others have, and we say, if only I had that talent, then I'd be able to have everything I wanted. Yet that's almost always not true. It's almost always not true. You might have given a, been given a hand, your particular hand, where the ultimate spiritual and emotional fulfillment comes in your life from being exactly who you are and where you are. In fact, you are the only person who would be able to be content with the situation that you're in because that's how life works because you can fundamentally trust your life. Each of, us is, each of us is utterly unique and with a unique talent that only we can bring to bear on this world. In fact, our purpose in being here, each of us, is to manifest that uniqueness, that unique talent that each of us has. And that's why we were born. That's why each of us were born, to make that contribution, that unique contribution to the unfolding universe, to evolution. And if we 
if we don't make that contribution, then your talent will be taken from you and it'll be given to somebody else until that unique contribution is made because that unique contribution is wanting to happen. We have a particular piece of the commonwealth that is the universe. We have a particular piece to contribute and that's why we're here. And if each of us do not contribute it, then someone else will have to. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look particularly important. You know, who knows what is important? You know, there's a general agreement as to who is important in the world. You know, but what does general agreement know? Think of all the people who were only famous after they died. Emily Dickinson, Galileo, Edgar Allan Poe, El Greco, Van Gogh never sold a painting in his life. You know, what did general agreement know about them? We don't know what's important. We only know that we have our lives to give. And even working out that can be difficult. It takes both humility and discernment. We have to look at our lives and work out what's important, not just to ourselves, but to those around us. And there lies our wealth. I've taken up swimming recently. It's less hard on the hips than, than running, which I used to do. And I was in the pool the other day, and I had this realization as I was swimming. Like, you know, when you're swimming a thousand yards, you, you could think quite a bit. I do a lot of my work in the swimming pool nowadays. And I realized that our relationship to the universe is a bit like swimming. You have to learn how to cooperate with the water in order to be able to keep afloat and to move along. If you don't learn to cooperate with the water, you struggle and then you drown. <laughs> so many of us find life, you know, we find that struggle and that feeling and you feel sometimes like you're drowning. And it, you know, it's no coincidence that Richard Raw's book about addiction is called Breathing Underwater. And Richard says he got the title of his book from the title of a poem uh, by Carol Bielek. And the poem's called Breathing Underwater. And I just thought it was, a, a, when I looked at it, such a nice poem. I built my house by the sea. Not on the sands, mind you. Not on the shifting sands. I built it on rock. A strong house by a strong sea. And I got well, we got well acquainted, the sea and I. Good neighbors. Not that we spoke much. We met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance, but looking out our thoughts across a fence of sand. The fence of sand, our barrier, always the sand between us. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came, without warning, without welcome even. Not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine, like a flow of water, like a flow of blood, slow but coming, slow but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. 
And I knew then that neither flight nor death nor drowning, that when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors, well acquainted, friendly, at a distant neighbors, and you give your house for a coral castle and you learn to breathe underwater or swim. And to find our talent and to contribute it as part of the commonwealth of the universe is to do that. We have to give up our ideas of what we have to give is important or significant as far as general agreement goes, and instead know that what we have to give is unique. And no one else is us and can give what we have to give. It is unique and it is vital. It is life-giving. It contributes to the unfolding of evolution and creation. It is the part that we individually have to offer. It is our talent. And to discover that talent is really to live a life in love. That is to live our life with no expectation of return, but to give what we have to give out of the love of giving it. For me, it might be these messages about my relationship with those around me. For you, it might be about something else. And don't worry if it doesn't seem important. Don't look to general agreement, whoever he may be, to validate what you have to give. It is something that comes out of your heart's relationship to the universe, your encouragement of others, your compassion. You don't know what effect it'll have. Look at Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus' cross for him to Calvary. He didn't know how important that act was. An ordinary person carrying a cross for a criminal, but now 2,000 years later, we still talk of him and see his importance. Each of us has this unique gift. I always say that we were all involved in a race with 20 million other people at the beginning of our lives. The race of the sperm to get to the egg. And each of us here was a winner <laughs> in that race. Each one of us beat off 20 million other people. And there's something in that urgency that we demonstrated then, something that we desperately wanted to do. We desperately wanted it. Something that we wanted to offer or something that we wanted to be. And now that we're born, we look around and think, what have I got to offer anybody? You know, we discount that urgency. But it's there within each of us. The reason for our urgency, the reason we were born, the reason we won, the contribution that we each have to make. Millions of people die without even thinking about this. But you're not one of them. You're here and you can reflect on what you have to offer and be sure to give it. And it's that which makes you feel alive. It's what others respond to in you. It's what 
creates magic. It's what makes your heart burn. It's what creates connection. When people look for their talents, they try to find signs, things that will bring them fame, wealth, success, and riches. When in fact the signs of talent are more like joy, peace, love, and deep satisfaction. Your talent, your richness is what you have to offer. And that is what will keep you afloat and allow you to swim or to breathe underwater because this is not all random. This all has meaning. This all has order. This unfolding, this awakening, and you're part of that unfolding. You're each part of that awakening. And you playing your part, you investing your talent is why you're here. So reflect, discern, allow the universe to talk to you. Let it inhabit you. Let it into your heart rather than trying to work it out with your mind. And let it live through you by expressing that which is essential to who you are. The reason that most people don't use their talent is they don't think it'll make a difference, that it's not important or significant or worth it or will not get them what they think they want. So they go off and squander it like the prodigal son. Know that you matter and know that what you have to offer is important and will make a difference. That is the secret of discovering your talent and making your contribution. Thank you. So let's pray. And first of all, we do pray that we're able to discern, be, actualize that which we have to offer. The reason that we came into being, the reason for our urgency, our desire to be alive, that which was put within us to contribute to the great unfolding of things. May we rest in it. May we rely on it. May we give it. We pray for those around us that we may encourage and enable them to discover their talents, to foster it in our families and friends. We pray that our leaders may discover their talents, why they're here, what they have to offer, the essential love that is at the center of their being. And we pray that love through us, through them, through all around may flow into the world. We pray for those particularly affected by the virus in China, for the doctors, people caring. Pray for all those affected by that. Pray for those affected by war, unjust regimes, particularly pray for those in prisons, 
those who are homeless, those who are hungry. Particularly pray for our community here in the valley. Pray for all those working on the mountains, in lifts, in restaurants, in hospitality. Pray for all the visitors here. Pray for those that we know are suffering at the moment. Just uh, remember those that in our families and those around us that we know, we mention them in our hearts now. And we especially remember those from our community that have asked for our prayers. We pray for Rita Hunter, for Heather Morrow, for Brett McKenzie, David Harrod, Petra Krimmel, Marianne Boltz, Jim Stark, Dorian Holm. Pray for John and Susan Wampler, both suffering from health issues. For Laurie Ellis, family of Bill Dodge. Pray for Kathy Nichols on the loss of her husband. For David Little's family after his death. For the family of Grace Wretch, the row who died in Florida in the car crash and those affected by the accident. And the family of Janice Anderson, Mark Mace's sister, who died last week. Just ask that hearts are open around all these people and that your healing power is there with them. Amen. Well, I mentioned this last week, but I know that not all of you come every week. Um, So I just want to say thank you on behalf of all of us staff and people in the chapel for all your generosity over the last year. Um, It was a very amazing year last year. We did lots of things. We had a huge budget and we made the budget at the end of the year. And it was really down to the generosity of our community around here. And we're really deeply grateful uh, for the support that you give us and continue to give us. And and did over that last year, and it just made a huge difference to us to come into this year in a really healthy position, and thank you very much for that. Um, And uh, having said that, we're going to pass around the plate, and I'm going to invite Aspen Noyes to sing while we do that. Thank <laughs> you.